These are the sounds coming from Belarus, commonly referred to as Europe's last dictatorship. Belarus, an often ignored country by the rest of the world, lies in Eastern Europe, neighboring Russia to the west. In early August 2020, Belarusian citizens took to the streets alleging that Alexander Lukashenko, the last dictator in Europe, in power for 26 years, rigged the 2020 presidential election in his favor. Since then, protesters have been met with violent suppression ordered by the Belarusian government. On this episode, we interviewed two natives of Belarus, Artem and Lily. They have asked for their last names to be omitted as they fear their outspokenness may put their families at risk. Artem and Lily both speak English and are working tirelessly to translate news out of Belarus into English and out into the world. They are part of the social media pages entitled Stories from Belarus. We spoke with them to find out what exactly is happening in their country. Artem and Lily, I want to thank you for joining me today. Of course. Thank you, Sam. So Artem, can you please describe to me what your family is telling you about what it's like on the ground in Belarus right now? Uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's pretty chaotic. After what, what happened with, with the election, after uh, Lukashenko came out and said that he won with uh, 80% of the vote, Obviously, people started rebelling. People um, uh, took it to the streets uh, in a peaceful protest. And that's very important to, to understand that people were incredibly peaceful. And the government took the same position it has been taking for the last three, four election cycles, basically swift violence, uh, suppressing people. And what they, I guess, didn't realize is that people are fed up. They are not scared, not afraid. And it just seems that as the violence, the government violence, violence escalating, more and more people are getting uh, meaningfully involved uh, in, in peaceful protests. Lily, can, can you describe the violence in the streets in Belarus right now? Um, are people getting beaten? Are people getting shot? Are the police using rubber bullets or, or, or real guns? Um, yes, police keep beating people and these top drivers and motorcyclists who who just beeping as the sign of solidarity with the protesters and they get beaten by police. It was said that during the protests on August 9th and 10th, the riot police used rubber bullets, tear gas and flashback grenades, which crippled protesters and even killed one. The state TV channels... Uh, showed that the, the, the dead guy was an ex-criminal and uh, it, was, it was him who would try to attack police with a Molotov cocktail that exploded in his hand and killed him. Uh, we know that this is pure propaganda because um, witnesses confirmed that that guy didn't have anything in his hands and was killed by a flashback grenade used by the right police. So a lot of the protesters on the streets in Belarus are getting arrested and detained. Lily, can you describe to the listeners what's happening in these prisons right now? The videos that you're seeing, the news that's coming out of these prisons in Belarus right now? So people saying that there were so many protesters that there were not enough place in the prison. There were 50 people in, uh, the, in the cells designed for eight People were sleeping near each other to not to get to get cold. People report that they were lying in the in the blood of of the detained. 
they were beat, the guys were beaten by the police. The girls were insulted. They were threatened to be uh, to be raped. They were uh, un, they were undressed. They were humiliated. They were beaten. There were reports uh, that people died in in the hospital after after the damages they received in the in the prisons. Uh, there are thousands of people outside the the place where they are um, where they are all the detained are right now. They have no idea if their relatives, their sons, their husbands, their brothers are there or not. It's uh, it's really something crazy, like. People don't know if their relatives, if their loved ones are alive, if they are okay. Artem, earlier you talked about Lukashenko getting, uh, claiming that he got 80% of the vote. What percentage do you think he actually got? It's very difficult to to actually pinpoint that. Uh, There are independent polls. And again, I just want to highlight that there there are no official independent newspapers channels, polling, no independent structures are left in Belarus at this point. But the independent polls conducted by uh, the citizens of Belarus within their, their, their circles, large amounts of, of data, uh, 16, 20,000 responders, they, they showed that Lukashenko's uh, support is something like you know, 3%, basically a margin of error. It's likely more than that, maybe you know, 10, 20%, but it's it's certainly nowhere above fifty percent, and and probably not even above thirty percent at this point. In what ways do you think Lukashenko actually stole this election? He really stole it in every way possible. Um, at the very beginning of the campaign, he jailed two of his opponents, and then forming of central and local election commissions um, were done with multiple violations. And then when uh, they started counting the votes, they literally replaced ballots, burned ballots. So honestly, every every step of the way, we, we had issues. Every step of the way, we had fraud, irregularities. Do you know to what extent Russia and Putin has meddled in this election? So Putin has always been a um, a big proponent of, of of Lukashenko. He was always on his side from the late 90s. Lukashenko signed a treaty with Russia, basically saying that that at, at a certain point, when the timing is right, uh, the uh, countries Belarus of Belarus and, and Russia will unite in some sort of uh, federation, confederation. And so Putin has been salivating over uh, taking over uh, Belarus for quite a long time, over 20 years at this point. But uh, uh, very recently, Putin's administration has been pushing Lukashenko to uh, basically develop the framework and allow Belarus to further integrate into into Russian Federation, which uh, at this point Lukashenko is unwilling to do because that means that he's likely going to uh, lose control of Belarus. So look, it, it's it's a very complicated topic. Putin wants Belarus to be integrated into Russia, and he made it loud and clear. And he made made that point loud and clear. And 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 Lukashenko did a one one eighty starting late last year, saying that we're not willing to give give up independence. With that said, there are multiple accounts of of people on the ground that are seeing Russian soldiers with no obvious insignia, but they're hearing foreign 
languages uh, that are on the ground that are suppressing suppressing voters, suppressing protesters. And actually, uh, Lukashenko and Putin agreed on uh, on Russian military intervention um, if they're unable to, so to speak, stabilize the situation in the country. Uh, things are developing incredibly fast, and clearly, Belarus is not just facing challenges from uh, within, but also outside. When you think about how Putin thinks about the future of Belarus and Russia, do you think that Putin is hoping and sees a future where Belarus is completely absorbed into the Russian Federation? Or do you think it's more of a soft control where he controls the government, but not in an explicit way where Belarus becomes a, a literal part of Russia? Yeah, he, he will take what, what he can what he can get. But the the truth of the matter is that the uh, union that was the treaty that was signed um, in late 90s did contemplate Belarus and Russia becoming a more integrated form of sort of European Union, where you have the same tax system, the same currency, and the same, same uh, government. So at this point, Putin will probably be okay with um, Belarus keeping its, its independence, token independence, but being heavily pro-Russian as it has been over the last 20 years, 25 years or so. But if he can get away with, with integrating it fully, he will definitely take that step. Do you believe that the vast majority of Belarusians do not have any want or need or desire to be part of Russia? Yeah, I believe, I believe that the Belarusians do not want to be part of Russia. I want to give everyone listening a little context about the person Lukashenko stole the election from. Her name is Svetlana Tikhanovskaya. When the presidential campaign began in Belarus, Svetlana wasn't a candidate, but her husband was. Her husband, Sergei Tikhanovsky, is a popular vlogger and pro-democracy activist in Belarus. He's a prominent voice in Belarus against the Lukashenko regime. In May of 2020, he announced his intention to run against Lukashenko. Two days later, he was arrested and held in a detention center. He's still in prison and has now been charged with disturbing the public order and interfering with the election. He faces up to three years of imprisonment. After his arrest, his wife, Svetlana, took up the reins and ended up as the main rival to Lukashenko in the election. Artem and Lily characterized her rise as quite extraordinary. They described her as a self-proclaimed stay-at-home mother before rising to become the greatest rival of the last dictator in Europe. However, if she were to win, Svetlana did not want to be president for long. In fact, she planned to hold another election six months later if she were to be inaugurated. She openly ran on this platform. I asked Artem more about this. Wow, so she was sort of like a placeholder president in some ways. Sort of. I mean, she, again, she was, she was never meant to be put in that, in that position. She was incredibly scared for her life, the life of her husband, who is um, serving time in jail now, um, and, and her, her children. Did you support her candidacy? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, look, at, at this point, people would have supported anybody. The fact that, that Svetlana got to where she got to, not wanting to be there, not wanting to be in front of tens of thousands of people holding these rallies, to me, that was a show of strength. She had her husband literally 
being a victim of the regime, being held hostage by the Belarusian government. Her children were, were in danger. Basically, the government came out and said, look, if you don't pull out from the campaign, uh, we are going to take them away. We're going to put them in an orphanage and we're going to put you in jail. How about that? With, with that said, Svetlana came out and, and said, Belarusians, you deserve a fair election. You deserve your votes to be heard, your votes to be counted. Lily, did you support Svetlana? Uh, yes. Why? Uh, because it was the only, the only light of hope for everyone. Because we want, because her main, um, her main program, the main point of the program was the fair elections. So she's currently fled to Lithuania, correct? She was asked to leave uh, to Lithuania. Okay. So the, the 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 government can basically said, "Hey, look, your leader fled the country." But clearly, she was incredibly worried about her husband was still in Belarusian prison, awaiting trial, but the government has already said that he is guilty. So she was scared, afraid that something might happen to him. She was obviously afraid that her children are going to be taken away. And the government, right before asking her to leave, they also seized a number of, of people from her campaign. What do you think the future holds for Svetlana? Will she be able to return safely, do you think? Not with Lukashenko's government. Uh, if um, if Lukashenko's government stays in place, if Lukashenko doesn't step down, then it is very clear to me that the repressions that have just now started will look like a tip of the iceberg. Um, Svetlana is not going to be allowed to return to Belarus. Her husband will remain in jail. If Lukashenko is not going to be participating in it, um, there's, a, there's a chance that she might be able to return back, even if she doesn't become the president. But the hope is that Lukashenko flees Belarus at this point, and Svetlana becomes the president, and uh, we have free and fair election in six months. For people who aren't familiar with the history of Belarus and how Lukashenko came to power, I'll explain. After the fall of the Soviet Union in the late 90s, Belarus became an independent state. After years under Soviet rule, Belarus found itself struggling to get its footing as an independent nation. There was no government, no currency, and the economy was in shambles. Artem tells me he remembers the money you could buy a car with, soon turned into barely enough to buy shoes. Lukashenko gained momentum in Belarus as an anti-corruption crusader, believe it or not. He was elected president in 1994, and in 1996 he changed the constitution the first time, and then he changed the constitution again in the 2000s and became the official head of state with no term limits, no three branches of government. He did all this by suppressing opposition leaders. All opposition leaders across Belarus were either jailed or fled the country. And so he became a tyrant, the last dictator in Europe. Artem, how over the last two, almost three decades, has Lukashenko wielded his power? Does he wield it in a violent form, in suppressing intellectuals, things to that nature? Yeah. Uh, Whatever form he could really use he sees that opportunity well, violent um, suppression is is one but also uh, the second second way to to make sure that people do not vote for anybody else or or do not think of of, of trying to liberate uh, themselves is fear and that fear perpetrated all fabrics of, of Belarusian society you know people who work in uh, state-owned uh, enterprises and 
mind you, the Belarusian economy is probably 60-70% state-owned, are fearful for their jobs because if um, if they lose their job, that there's there's no way they can they can find anything within the country. So they would have to leave the country, and <laughs> no one is going to grant them a um, a visa, a work visa to work in European Union. Um, so fear, uh, violence, suppressing all intellectuals, uh, people who are speaking up against the regime, shutting down websites, not allowing any independent media, all of that has enabled him to have full and total control over what's happening in Belarus, whether it's in people's minds or or what's what's happening on the street. Can you tell me what um, day-to-day life was like for Belarusians in Lukashenko's Belarus for the past, since 94? Uh, it is... It starts and ends with fear, right? If you go to if you go to a place of work, you know that that you are basically a, um, a serf. Uh, you you have no rights. Um, you have no there are no unions that are not pro government unions, uh, so you cannot enforce your rights as a as a worker. You obviously cannot use any anti Lukashenko anti government rhetoric on social media. So the day to day life is pretty pretty depressing for Belarusians. Uh, it's important to understand how Belarus, I guess, is making money as a um, majority of it is actually Russian subsidies. majority of it is the profit that Belarusian government makes by selling Russian weapons, Russian-made weapons, um, and also um, Russian gas and Russian, Russian oil. So th- there are really no, no ways to, to make decent living in Belarus. And so another way that I would describe day-to-day life of Belarus is being pretty poor. Lily, if Lukashenko stays in power, what does the future of Belarus look like? If our current president stays in power, I don't see um, perspectives for anyone in the country. Uh, Belarus for sure will face uh, deep economic crisis, sanctions from other countries, and uh, lose of access to international loans from financial institutions, and uh, the deepening dependence on Russian demand uh, will stop our our pressure on, on the authorities. I'm sure that in several months he can reopen criminal cases for people who, who were protesting. And this time, people we are afraid that these people may face individual tortures in the prisons that no one no one will never find out about. Artem, do you think that there's any chance Lukashenko steps down? Um, it is hard for me to imagine that without any any sort of outside pressure. What I think may need to happen internally is that every single person has to come out on the street and make sure that their voices are being heard. Another way to make sure that um, people of Belarus get their voices heard and, and get Lukashenko out is um, a countrywide strike, starving the regime, making sure that they, they get no, no money coming in. So to summarize it, it's um, some sort of outside pressure to um, mass protests more than what we're seeing even now. And third, countrywide strike where people refuse to pay taxes, refuse to, to work and, um, and basically starve, starve the regime. Are you optimistic that there will be assistance from the EU or from the United States um, no. to help? Yeah, I, I, um, I'm not. 
look, the uh, I I'm very pro pro EU, pro European, um, you know, very pro pro US, but uh, it is very difficult for me to expect a certain level of involvement for European Union and United States in the near near term, as in now. There are protests happening now. The protests are being squished right now. People are being jailed right now. People are being beaten to death right now. And and so it's it's very difficult for me to imagine that politicians in European Union and in the United States are going to come out and say, you know what, we are going to in- interfere. And don't forget that Belarus is in a treaty with, with Russia with um, Russian bases, military bases in Belarus. So a clear military interference is going to look like, uh, you know, the United States and the European Union attacking uh, Russia, which obviously is is unlikely to happen. Mm, yeah. Lily, uh, are you optimistic about the future for Belarus? Uh, I can be optimistic for Belarus only if Lukashenko goes away. So, I don't know. I really hope that uh, people people will win because um, this, the, the change process st- started and uh, I hope they will not they will not surrender. So to make sure we end this episode on a positive note, I want to ask Lily, what do you love about Belarus? Definitely, I love Belarusian people. They are amazing. They are open-hearted. They are honest. They are tolerant. They are helping. They are peaceful people, very kind. Uh, they support each other. Um, and I still believe that even among the security forces, there are humans and people who also love Belarus and their citizens, and they help us stop this violence and help us bring changes in the country. All right. Thank you, Artem, and thank you, Lily. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you so much for talking about this, uh, this topic. It's very important for us and for Belarusian citizens. Thank you very much. So after talking to Artem and Lily and talking with others in Belarus and learning more about what's happening there, it seems clear they want their stories told. They want the spotlight on Belarus. They want the world to see what's going on there in the hopes that the spotlight will help change the country and get Lukashenko out of office. <laughs>